0: This is a nine eighty CKNW podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Tonight on the podcast, we're talking about your behavior at the office Christmas party. Should it be naughty or should it be nice? Talking a lot about relationships as well. Are you struggling in your marriage? Is the magic of the season not quite cutting it for you? Well, Mark Smith, a marriage and family therapist, joins me on the podcast to give you some tips on how you can survive the holidays. Uh, when you are struggling in your marriage. And Nancy Ruth Jean joins me as well. We're talking about what is a breakup coach and why it's important that if you're having issues in your relationship to maybe see a breakup coach. So thanks so much for tuning into the podcast. So first of all, I want to talk about these uh, office parties, the Christmas parties, they are coming up. And uh, you've probably already had a few, in fact, because there is, uh, you know, they start in November these days, and sometimes they start in early November. So if you've already gone um, to some Christmas parties and made a few mistakes or have had a few hangovers, well, now's the time to uh, improve on things. And, you know, I think it's really important. I saw something today on... Um, on Facebook, actually. And I've seen this because I actually work with addiction. Um, you know, there's at the parties, there's alcohol. They can be fueled by alcohol. Some people don't know when to stop. A lot of people are engaged in binge drinking, um, which can be a huge issue for people. And it's it's four drinks in a row at one time for women, it's defined as, and it's five drinks in a row. For men, um, and so if you're binge drinking, and, and what better place to binge drink than at a party? Um, and so you want to make sure that you're not binge drinking. But the other thing that I wanted to mention is that um, is that some sometimes in a family there will be an, an, a known addict in the family because th- because they do drugs. Uh, that seems to be a common um, a common way and but oftentimes other people in the family are drinking as well um and so but their their drinking is not seen as an addiction or problematic because alcohol drinking is and I'm not saying don't have fun out there. People have a great time. Just watch yourselves. But alcohol is so much more socially acceptable than, of course, heroin or cocaine. Uh, but they can be equally as addicting. Um, and uh, so you have to be, I saw today on this one year no beer site where it said it was a it was a woman who was talking about the death of her son who had overdosed. And she said after he overdosed, she took a look at her own drinking and she wished that she had done that. It wasn't that she was looking back, but she wished she had done that before. She drank every day and she started to drink earlier and earlier in the day. She said it didn't um, impact her relationships or her jobs uh, but she learned a lot more about addiction um, afterward Um, so it's really important to go to those office parties and to go with good intention and um, and actually think about what you're going to eat if you're if you're pre-fueling if you're drinking before Um, and so to make sure that you're not uh, over-consuming or not going out on an empty stomach. Um, and uh, and also watch what you're drinking, especially at the office Christmas party. Now, the neighborhood Christmas party, that's something entirely different. And in fact, I'm going to be having a neighborhood Christmas party. And I thought, maybe I'll just have it on a Thursday night. I mean, do I want to party till dawn with the neighbors? <laughs> maybe. Um, but I thought, maybe a Thursday night, you know, a couple of hours, that might, you know, be be a good idea. Maybe people would be able to, you know, be in attendance more likely because it's not on the weekend. Uh, maybe they would consume less. I mean, think about these things before you have a party, before you serve alcohol, and certainly before you consume alcohol. But be very careful because when we have had too much to drink, we, it, we our defenses drop down and, you know, we're much more likely to make some unfortunate decisions that we may not have made. Had we been sober at the party, and of course, the next day is always better uh, if you haven't had too much to drink at the office party or at the neighborhood party or at any party. Um, so there's, of course, there are some office rule, you know, Christmas party rules. Um, you don't want to be rubbing up against the boss's wife or, um, <laughs> um. And uh, you don't want to be drinking too much and you don't want to be flirting too much. You do want to show up. That's an important rule. Uh, You know, the thought of spending your Friday or Saturday night with your boss may sound, you know, dreadful. You might rather go to a rock fight or stick needles in your eyes. But no, um, it's a good idea to suck it up and go to the party. And you know what? Overdress. Always look your best. That's my mother's advice. Always. I would always say, what should I wear? And she'd say, always look your best. And you always feel better if you've overdressed versus having underdressed. And so it's important that you um, overdress for the party and, you know, take some time and look look good and, and make, make it a point to actually look your best. Enjoy yourself. Um, you know, be happy to see your colleagues. This is a time of celebration. This is a time of joy. People have hard times. In life, and you may be having a hard time in life. And actually, later on in the program, we're going to be talking to a marriage and family therapist about attending these Christmas parties and dealing with the holidays and family parties when you're having difficulty in your marriage. Um, There's also, you know, don't invade people's space. Uh, don't get too close. Uh, I actually saw somebody, I'm trying to think where I was. I've actually just, um, I've been traveling a little bit just back in today. There's some storms on the East coast. Um, so I'm happy to be here, but, um, back in the station, but I saw somebody who was talking to somebody and she said to this person, you're actually too close to me. And he, he said, okay. And they were just having a conversation. So if somebody is too close, um, Make sure that you uh, let them know. But be aware of your own behavior. And it's also a good idea to intermingle. Try not to stick with the one crowd or uh, the most popular crowd or bring people in that might be shyer at work or, or may not be as comfortable. And also know your limits especially in terms of dancing on the tables, you know, not too many tables, maybe three or four tables, but no, try not to dance on the tables. Try not to drink too much, smoke too much pot, do too many drugs. It's not a good idea. Um, And also think about social media, um, because as, as I'm sure most of you have heard out there of the Santa Claus in British Columbia, who posted some pictures from Um, his mall experiences or his mall Santa job a few years back from a few years back with some friends, but some people felt they were politically incorrect. And I think he did not represent the mall. Well, um, regardless of whether the the pictures, regardless of what your opinion is on on those photographs, where he was seen to be appearing as though he was touching a woman's breasts. Um, But he posted those and he said, that was my mistake. I posted on social media. You're more likely to post something on social media when you've had too much to drink. And last but not least, what is the thing that you ought to do? You ought to thank the organizer, thank the person who put the party on for you. They likely went to a lot of trouble uh, to do that. And so, you know, it's very nice. When somebody treats you to a nice dinner um, and all sorts of other things tonight in the program, we got lots coming up. Jesse Miller, Miller of Mediated Reality is joining me next to talk about um, how boring is school for your children. Oh yeah, I feel so sorry for them. Um, and should we ban cell phones? We're also going to be talking to, to a woman um, at the top at the bottom of the hour there um, about uh, infidelity and her experience with infidelity and how she. Managed to heal her marriage, um, and live in joy every day. Recently, I did a talk that is on YouTube and it's around, uh, low sexual desire, infidelity, divorce, and death, quite frankly, oftentimes death of the relationship when there is infidelity. And I had quite a bit of, uh, quite a bit of comments on social media on LinkedIn and on Facebook, people sending me uh, private messages and public messages and uh, public messages such as this one after a decade of declining sex led to four years of a sexless marriage, despite two counselors over three of those years didn't result in an affair, but did lead to divorce in the end of a 30-year partnership. Having reclaimed my sexual sovereignty, I am now embracing an open poly life. Never say never, but I do not anticipate giving my sexuality to only one person ever again. Perhaps if ethical non-monogamy was an option at the time, it could have salvaged what otherwise was a good relationship, but it wasn't, and I couldn't live with involuntary celibacy. Infidelity stats are difficult to be, get accurate, because in part people don't want to be—they uh, don't want to be disclosing uh, online, especially today. And a lot of surveys are done online. Um, but the University of Colorado researchers surveyed 4,800 married women using face-to-face interviews and an anonymous questionnaire. In the interviews, only one percent said they cheated during the past year, but the anonymous questionnaire showed six percent—a statistically significant increase. Arguably, the best research on this subject is the General Social survey conducted annually ever since 1972 by the esteemed University of Chicago. For 37 years, they've asked a representative national sample about infidelity, and the results have been consistent. Every year, 10% of spouses admit to cheating, 12% of men, 7% of women. Um, being cheated on is arguably the worst pain in the world. And Jessica joins me on the line to share her story of infidelity and how she healed her relationship. Good evening, Jessica.
1: Hi, good, good evening. Thank you so
0: much for having me on. Oh, thank you so much for sharing your story because this really does empower other people, and it's such a it can be so heartbreaking to learn, regardless of the circumstances, that your husband, partner, your wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, whomever uh, has um, been unfaithful to you, and and this is what happened to you. Um, can you tell us your story?
1: Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, <clears throat> last year, um, uh, it was a very interesting situation, but I received a, a phone call from my husband one day and, uh, we were living apart because he was working in Vancouver and I was, or still I'm living on the Sunshine Coast and, um, you know, just out of the blue, you know, he said, uh, I, I don't want to be together anymore. It's not that I don't love you I just think we were never meant for each other, and um, you know, this is this is after ten plus years of marriage, three children. Nothing seemed wrong. Nothing um, seemed offbeat. I just it came completely out of the blue. And um, <clears throat> being a person of faith, I you know sort of just dug deep and thought to myself, "There's something wrong here. Like, there's something that's not right." Um and I can I started digging basically instead of being accusatory or angry or um, you know, demanding answers, I, I decided I was gonna seek them out first. And uh it was then that I found um when he would visit on weekends, photos of a woman on his phone and uh details came out that, you know, were hanging out. And I said, Well, who is this woman? And he said, oh, it's, it's this lady, my mom's best friend. <laughs> and I said, what? You mean so-and-so? And he goes, yeah, well, you know, I've been going through a tough time being away from you guys. And we've just been hanging out. And I know it was wrong of her to, sh- to share nudes with me.
0: Um, Did you say to share, never... to share nude pictures with him?
1: With him, yeah.
0: So, she, so these were nude photos you found on his phone?
1: these were nude photos through text message that I found on his phone, just right out in the open. Um, and I don't think he thought that I would ever look at his phone.
0: They never and do. Again, I'm,
1: I'm a real sleuth, right? So being as tech savvy as I am, I like to hack things and look into things. And I had noticed months before he changed the password on his email, which we've always shared. Um, and so I thought, okay, well I'm going to play the naive voice here. <laughs> and um, So that nude photo conversation um, a couple of weeks later then turned into, well, I see that you're now still talking to her. Um, You know, what is really going on here? Um, Because this doesn't make any sense. You're continuing to tell me you don't want to be together, but then you visit on weekends and we're intimate and we're acting like we're this great, amazing family. And there was no answers. So I kept on digging and that's when I found an app on his phone that contained a vault of images. And it was a vault of them in sexual relations. Um, and up until that point, I'm going to be honest with you, nothing prepared me <laughs> for this. Um, seeing your husband, um, your best friend, with another woman who's, what, what would that be? That would be 25 years his senior. Um uh, doing some of the most intimate things with her that he's never even done with you was gut wrenching.
0: I, I and, can't even imagine your pain.
1: Yeah, it was it was unfathomable. But again, dug deep down and thought, okay, there's a reason for this. You know, um, why are we here right now dealing with this? And so I approached him and I said, "Listen, I've found these images, and I just want to let you know that I'm aware." And, um, you know, I just kind of, I want an explanation, you know, what, what exactly has happened? And why is this going on? And he goes, Oh, it was, we only slept together a couple of times. I know it was wrong of me. Um, I don't know why I took the (laughs) pictures." And I was just kind of like, Okay, well, I need more than that. You need to kind of like explain to me what is going on here, because I'm feeling so distraught. I'm I don't want to be angry at you. I don't want to be criticizing. Um, And I said to him, you know, I'm so sorry I've let you down. Those were literally my exact words. I said, I'm so sorry I've let you down. Something horribly wrong has happened here. But we have children, and I love you, and you are so much better than this. And um, I basically started a ritual of prayer for the next month over my husband um, and dealing with him in a way that I think no wife has probably ever dealt with her her husband and an affair partner. But, um, I treated him as if, um, essentially not that he hadn't done anything wrong, but that I was now going to take action to literally win my marriage back. And there were various things I did. I set up boundaries. I set up, um, Uh, facets of my needs I needed in this situation and as part of the process I started to uncover things within myself that had attributed to the breakdown Um, things like that I had been a criticizing partner and that I myself hadn't had a real sexual drive In the relationship over the last couple years because I had been raising our kids alone for three years on the Sunshine Coast while he continued to commute commute back and forth from Vancouver. So there was some strain there. Um, You know, I kind of let myself go a little bit. Um, I'd been very, very self-focused on my own career and my job. And, um, you know, it's hard when your partner's not home all the time. You do kind of start focusing on other things than them. Right. And when he would come home on weekends i oftentimes would just kind of pass the kids off to him uh, because i'd had enough and i wanted to now just breathe um and so <clears throat> we started a, a discussion essentially over his own resentment towards me his resentment towards himself um and then what i was going through and the the affair was continuing in the background Little did I know after he said it's over and we'd only slept together a couple of times and this and that and the other. And it wasn't until um, something popped up in my inbox one day because I started monitoring his phone secretly that um, I then um, wandered into a cache of video.
0: I am speaking with Jessica. She's on the line sharing her heart-rendering story about uh, after 10 years of marriage, learning that her husband was, if you're just joining us, her husband was having an extramarital affair with a woman 25 years his senior, uh, who happened to be her mother's close friend. Uh, Jessica, thanks so much for staying on the line. Yes, thanks
1: so much, Maureen.
0: Not at all. Just a couple of questions. Um, so you mentioned that you did discover some videos. When you saw the the initial um, nude photographs, did that cause your heart to race? Did you think, you know, what is this? And was there some denial is, I guess, my question. Did you think this can't be, he mustn't be? Um, but you, it seems that you kept getting more and more evidence until finally maybe the light went on. I mean, it's hard to face.
1: I... I think there is a sense of denial when this type of stuff happens. Um, I, To be honest, I know it sounds sick and twisted, but I really wanted to know how far it had gone. Um, and I wanted to know what it was about her that made her better than me. Uh, that's where my head was at. Right. Um, and I never divulged to him that insecurity, but as the sleuth in me, and I think many wives can relate to this, and I have spoken to to some um, we we not only want evidence, but we want to know what we were competing against. And um, the images, I mean, obviously they showed, you know, sexual intercourse, but it was when the videos and the amount of videos and the amount of things used in the videos, um, uh, that's when, for me, kind of like the real heartbeat <laughs> started to pick up and go, Oh my God, like this was so sick and twisted. Um, and, uh, and that's when I went into kind of full confrontation mode um, because it was at that point that it wasn't just like, you know, a little tryst here and there. This was a relationship that went on from um, the end of March of last year all the way into almost September and he had been swearing to me that it was over when I had first found out and this and that. And so when on the final weekend that he had come over to visit prior to me confronting him, he had had, you know, sex with her days before coming home to then sleep with me. And um, I, that's when I put my foot down and I didn't really do it in an ultimatum kind of way I kind of pivoted and I said to him, listen, like, you've not only put my health at risk by having continuous unprotected sex with this woman who is a philanderer and has done this with other men and married men, which I was very much aware of um, because my mother-in-law had told me about her years ago. Uh Um, But I said, you've put our children at risk. I said, you've put your, the entire life that we've, we've built up at risk. Um, and, uh, and I said, you know, to what extent are you going to take this? And do you realize the true consequences of all of this? I said, um, you know, I, I can take you to task, I said, and, um, the, these are the things that I've been counseled to do. I said, uh, do you really want to be changing nappies, you know, on a 60 to 70 year old woman in a, in 10 to 20, another 10 to 20 years? Like, is that... Is that your goal here, you know? Is this what you want to bring your children into? Like, think of them. Think of the betrayal, how you have been away from them weeks and and even at one point a month away from his children in the summertime so that he can continue this relationship. And just to give you a little bit of backstory here, Maureen, which makes it even sicker, is that his stepfather was dying of one of the most gruesome brain cancers in the world, and he was using his stepfather as a scapegoat to basically tell us that I'm spending time with Papa who's dying right now, oh. and that's why I can't come and visit. Mm-hmm. And all the while, he was in this relationship. And so it just got kind of more twisted and twisted. And, and finally, um, what ended up further coming out was that not only was he in this relationship, but he was um, abusing alcohol, he was doing cocaine, he had started doing steroids. So his mind was really warped on all of these, like you know, right. Substances at the same time. And it was that weekend that basically in seeing my pain and I think the breakdown and finally the confrontation and the fight in me, that's when he went, Oh my God, what have I done? And it was, um, it it was crazy because it was a total flip. He basically quit his job within a week, um, of that happening And uh, told his mom and this woman it was over. And within the next several weeks after, he packed up everything that he had and basically moved over to the Sunshine Coast. And he's been home ever since. Um, And the sad part is it's completely destroyed the relationships within his family. Because many of these people knew it was going on. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And were actually encouraging it. Uh. Um, and, uh, and now of course they're full of shame because I know, you know, and, um, I, I'm the mother of these grandchildren that have also been affected.
0: Um, and so, and did he get help for his, um, it sounds like his substance use?
1: He did. We found an amazing counselor on the Sunshine Coast that was both, um, a substance abuse counselor and as well as a marriage counselor. And he's given us a lot of tools to work with um we've also um he's completely sort of done pivoted himself and made god more of a priority in his life and that's also been a huge thing for him um we also have set up a lot of security features on things like our phone computer the television um he wants me to know that at all times i'm safe and that he's not doing anything that he shouldn't be doing so right we have sort of monitoring things set up. Um, and
0: is he working again?
1: He he is. Um, he actually is working with my dad, which is great because yeah. again, there's almost like a, um, you know, there's, there's some balance there for him and as well, you know, for me, um, he's not, you know, going off and driving off into whatever direction. And my, my dad tends to be sort of like the voice of reason and a really great support. And, um, my dad's actually never confronted my husband about this, but, um, you know, he said, my dad said to me one day, Jessica, there are worse things than infidelity in this world. And he said, you know, your love for Jordan is at the end what's going to change him, not your criticism, not your anger, not the violence that you want to pour out on him. Your husband's going to come around, but he's going to come around when he knows forgiveness at a different level. And so my dad always stepped in as more of a, like a, a, strong male support. And I feel like that's also really helped my husband to kind right. of see himself and be like, whoa, like these people love me, you know, like yes. they're not, they're not here to condemn me. And so that's also been huge for him.
0: A- absolutely. It's amazing. It's an amazing story. I know you have some great news. I know there's been a lot more work probably than what we're saying, but uh, you're awaiting the arrival of a, a new baby as well. Yes, yes, we are.
1: I am right now at Ronald McDonald House. Wow. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm a high-risk pregnancy. It's my fourth. Wow. Infection. And uh, yeah, so best we're waiting of, on our fourth baby.
0: Thank, best of luck to you for your miracle um, marriage makeover. It's fantastic, and I'm sure it's a lot of the, uh, you're just a wonderful human being and have, have been able to do that and inspire many other women out there. And that was great advice from your dad as well. Thank you, Jess, so much. Thank you, Maureen. You're welcome. I'm Maureen McGrath, and we're going to talk about uh, with a therapist up next when you have troubles at the holidays in your marriage. I'm Maureen McGrath. It's the Sunday Night Health Show. (music) Right now, we're going to be talking about uh, couples issues. Again, we're a lot of focus on this this evening uh, because lots of couples have problems. In fact, every single couple out there has problems. I don't care how perfect you are or how perfect you pretend to be on Facebook. And if you think that um, the magic of the season might repair the damage to your marriage, think again. I am joined on the line by Mark Smith. He is a marriage and family therapist in Vancouver, British Columbia. His website, MarkSmithCounseling.com. Good evening, Mark. Thank you for joining me. Hey, Maureen. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And I do want to say, if you have any questions about this, feel free to call in. Uh, if you were wondering if you should go to the office party, if you should go to your in-laws, if um, any issues around finances, so many po- problems pop up. Um, Amongst other things. During the holidays, the number to call is 1 877 399 9898. That's 1 877 399 9898. It's your opportunity to have some free therapy from Mark Smith. So so, uh, I might as well just get it myself. Anyway, um, there you go. uh, So thanks for joining me, Mark, tonight. This is a tough time of year for a lot of people. Oftentimes, people bring their baggage from their family of origin. There's financial problems that can also escalate at this time of year. There's office parties. People are tired. They're stressed. They're not getting along. They're not fighting fairly. There's an imbalance of power in the relationship. The list goes on and on. So couples approach this season and they're like, I am miserable in my marriage. What do I do? And what advice do you have for people who feel that way?
2: Well, your, your opening comment about everybody has conflict to one degree or another issues is a good one because it reminded me of the research that John Gottman did um, on couples. He was a professor at the University of Washington, I believe, and he and his team researched uh, couples for 20 years. Um, they would uh, have, the, have couples come and uh, live in the, an apartment overlooking the Puget Sound for a 24-hour period and they would observe them um, anywhere from uh, what they term the masters of relationship to the disasters of relationship. And an interesting statistic that comes out of their research is that, um, and it's kind of an odd number because it's an odd number, 69% of (laughs) of issues that couples have do not get resolved. So there's always going to be something in the air. And when tension and anxiety build, those will be our go-to places. We'll complain about this and we'll point out that.
0: So 69% of couples' issues never get resolved over the the lifetime of the marriage or the relationship.
2: As I understand it, that's his statistic. That's fascinating. Now, of course, the masters of the relationship, they can let it go. They can roll with it. They can be flexible and fluid. The couples that struggle, where there's more tension, they have a more rigid response, and it's harder for them to be flexible and and, and, and go with the ebb and flow. So that's where it gets tricky.
0: And can you have two different people in a relationship, one master, one who's a disaster, and so one lets things roll off their back and the other one holds grudges or is resentful or whatever?
2: Well, that's how it will present. But uh, family systems theory, the work that Murray Bowen did, um, looking at how families function would say that a couples, two partners, tend to get drawn to people who are at the same level of differentiation or the same level of maturity. And what he observed and what his theory would suggest is that um, uh, one, one, um, one spouse's personality will tend to dominate and they will do better at the expense of the other. So over the course of time, one spouse may decompensate in relation to the other spouse who um, does better, for lack of a better term. So So the one that decompensates may look like the more difficult one or the more problematic one, but it tends to be a relationship problem, not an individual problem.
0: So is it that two people are drawn together at the beginning and they're at the same level of maturity? Maybe they're both 23 and they're whatever. One can be 27 and the other 30 or whatever, but they're kind of both, you know, skateboarding and (laughs) playing video games. And then maybe responsibilities come on and maybe children arrive and maybe, you know, and it could be the father or it could be the mother. Uh, Mm -hmm. Is there anything that that says that, you know, one matures and develops and grows up? (laughs) Because that's actually what I see in a lot of the couples in my clinical practice is that one just hasn't grown up. They're spoiled. Mm -hmm. They act like children. They're, they're like five-year-olds in their demands and in their behavior and they just can't get past that. Not all the time, but just certain yeah. issues keep rearing their ugly head and then they revert to acting like a child. And then the other partner, whomever it is, the man or the woman, is the one who is making the lunches and you know doing the housework and doing yeah. the finances and, and all of that. And the other is playing video games still.
2: Well, and I think that from a systemic perspective, I would View that as one is overfunctioning and one is underfunctioning. And if we slip out of that systemic perspective and look at it more from an individual perspective, we might blame the underfunctioner or blame the overfunctioner rather than look at how they both reinforce the other. Does the overfunctioning person uh, promote underfunctioning in the other, or does the one who underfunctions promote overfunctioning in the other? Um, So the one that's sitting playing video games will do that if the other one is doing 75% of the chores and tasks around the house. Um, And the flip side of that is the one who over functions, if they're doing everything, the other one just learns, well, it's never good enough when I do it or they beat me to it. So I'm just going to kick back and do video games because it's not going to be good enough anyways.
0: Is there this learned helplessness in relationships as well, where as well, they're going to do it, he's going to do it or she's going to do it. So I don't have to do it or or there's no urgency. Sometimes um, somebody, you know, finances, for example, you know, it's important to look at finances pretty much on the daily. Um, Mm -hmm. And some people will let that go for months and, and, you know, years and never look at it. And so one might think, hey, this is important that we look at this all the time. And then, but one wants to and the other doesn't, so the other one doesn't. And so then the other one just has fear and anxiety and panic. Uh, a bit of a self fulfilling prophecy because they have this issue uh, with money already, and then this allows them to have their fear perpetuated i 'm obviously speaking about a particular couple in my clinical practice <laughs> <Sure. Yeah. laughs> um, i 've actually yeah. had to do spreadsheets this is the, This is the really scary thing i 've actually had to say to people, bring in your your budget, bring in your spreadsheet, you know keep your car, do not buy a new car, keep your condo you know i 'm like giving financial advice which is dangerous. Um, you know, because people yeah. are like, should I sell the condo and and lease a new Lexus? And I'm like, you know, well, go out and do some crack too. Um, you know, just they're not making sensible decisions and they're afraid yeah. of money. They're afraid to look at it, you know, they're, yeah. um, piling up debt. And, and then that allows them to live in this world of fear and panic. When you, if you just mm-hmm. sit down and take a look at it, you know, you can, you know, have the power to resolve some of these issues.
2: Well, and I think, I think that fundamentally that's accurate and true. But I think what you're describing is um, anxious people. And we're all, we all have an anxious response to life to one degree or another. And certainly tension within a couple's relationship will elevate that anxiety. And when people are anxious, they don't make good decisions because they're in that fight or flight part of their brain rather than that thoughtful cognitive part of their brain. And so it's every person's challenge to, to to reach into that mature and responsible part of themselves and to, you know, pull up into that thoughtful place and make good decisions. But easier said than done.
0: It is, especially, you know, anxiety is pervasive today. And, is, yeah. and I heard a general practitioner say recently, why is it that all these young people have so much anxiety? And, you know, it seems... Uh, kids in there. Well, they're not kids any longer, um, but you know, in their early twenties, it seems to be really rampant, you know, kind of in the university days and the early twenties and and even in high school, it just seems to be getting worse and worse. Kids can't cope with anything, but is that learned (laughs) behavior?
2: Well, I was talking with one of my couples recently and, um, this and uh, the dad was, you know, a teenager in the seventies. Um, and I was saying, well, you know, back in the 70s, parents didn't schedule the lives of their kids so much. They didn't anxious, I mean, they were anxious parents, but anxious in other ways. And I think over the last few decades, we've seen more and more anxious parenting um, where parents are scheduling um, the lives of their kids. Kids don't, it's not like back um, a few decades where kids just went out into the neighborhood and played. Now all the play tends to happen under the guise or under the watchful eye of parents, and play dates get set up. And that anxious parenting may be part of what contributes to anxious young adults now. They've had parents that do a lot for them, and so they don't um, know how to do for
0: themselves. Exactly. And all of this can lead to marital troubles, especially when you put the kids ahead of your relationship, not to mention having kids changes the hormones for a woman. And that may also lead to low sexual desire. So these are a couple of things I want to tackle when we come back from the break. Mark, Mark Smith, marriage and family therapist in Vancouver, British Columbia, marksmithcounseling.com. When your marital troubles are not cured by the magic of the season. Mark, thanks so much for hanging on the line. (laughs)
2: No problem, yeah.
0: Um, hey, sometimes that's all people have, hope for a little magic. Uh, so, exactly. So when they're struggling during the holidays, um, what are some of the suggestions that you have for couples uh, to survive the holidays?
2: Well, what's that old saying about, is it physician, know thyself? Or yes. something like that. Um, I, I think it begins with each person managing themselves well and knowing what's going to create stress for them, what's going to trigger them, and to have a bit of a game plan, you know. um, So, for example, um, Christmas shopping with your spouse or with your kids and your spouse, if you know that that's going to be really stressful, then know ahead of time to create a different plan or at least know that it's going to be stressful so if the kids are a bit out of control or your partner isn't that supportive, and just let it go because you just know, you know, you, you kind of know what's going to happen because you've been there a thousand times. Um,
0: Christmas itself yeah. is stressful for a lot of people. Just the idea of it, and what am I going to get somebody? And they put so much pressure yeah. on themselves when really, yeah. probably the best idea is not to get any gifts. <laughs> I saw that on I saw that on Facebook. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Um,
0: that's a choice. But well, it
2: is, and there are there's a percentage of people that do not get gifts, and um, but it, it, you know that's a hard shift for. It's one one thing for one person to make that shift. It's another to introduce that into your whole family or with your partner. But Exactly. Is it a good time
0: to break up during the holidays?
2: Well, I think that um, what most often happens, and I had somebody in my office this week who who, who said it, and that is um, parents generally want to get through the holidays and then if they're going to talk about divorce um, or, or breaking up or whatever it might be, they will often wait till January, and I think January is the is one of the highest months for um, separations to happen and people to approach family lawyers. So it tends to not happen beforehand unless I, you know, it, something stirs the pot so much that there's a big enough blowout that it might might happen, but.
0: Right. And then that brings with it um, years and years of uh, separate dinners at different houses and and navigating relatives and uh, people getting offended and power issues. Um, Can Christmas be the tipping point for um, a marriage in trouble?
2: Well, I mean, I think for just the reasons you just mentioned, that there are so many stresses, chances are, um, you know, for many couples, the predictable blowout happens, and it happened last year and the year before. And so they can more often than not get through it and find a way to repair. You know, after Christmas, you've got New Year's, so you can have the big love in it at New Year's, right, if you've had a bit of a blowout. Um, And so sometimes some couples are able to um, uh, rebuild that togetherness feeling and kind of get through and, and start again in the New Year. Others, it sort of maybe hits the point of no return.
0: Right. And, think, and how think, much does... Oh, go ahead.
2: Well, I was just going to say, I think the, I remember reading years ago that um, on average it takes cu- a couple, six years to present to couples therapy. So often it takes a few of these kind of bad Christmases to get to a point where even people will get help. It may not be the end of the relationship. but. Anyway.
0: And do you see people getting back together um? Over the holidays as well, thinking, oh, it's Christmas! Oh, it's such a romantic time. There's the magic of the season. Let's do this again. Let's let's be miserable well, for another year.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's a good point. I mean, I think that we're all, you know, human beings are social creatures. We like the togetherness of being connected with others, and like you say, there can be a certain amount a certain amount of um, sentimentality and romanticism around the time. And and I think some of that is genuine, and some of it is just the feeling of the season. That it can be a big letdown once the season passes, but it is a time where um, you know potentially couples can be quite generous to one another, and it might shift that tension that's in the relationship if somebody gives that thoughtful gift or does something thoughtful or expresses some kindness or some respect, or uh, and, and that might be a bit of a rebuild. Um, so if people can take you know advantage of those opportunities to really voice their thoughts and feelings, um, you know, it can be a time of repair for sure.
0: Right. And there's a lot of unhappy couples out there, I would imagine, that are just surviving um, yeah. the holidays. And and you made a great point saying it takes six years on average for people to go to a marriage therapist um, about their troubles. And, and probably that's just far too long because oftentimes that's just too long to address well, the issues they've built up. Yeah,
2: people tend to come to a therapist when they're in crisis rather than do it sort of for, ma- you know, maintenance reasons. In other words, you know, things are good enough, but we have a bit of tension here or we're kind of working on things there. You know, there's no shame to see a therapist to kind of work, work at it. You bring in your car to get maintenance done, so there's no big breakdown. So why not invest in your relationship uh, before it? it gets to a point where it's really rocky.
0: Absolutely. And Mark Smith, com. Thank you so much. As I always say, we're speaking of gifts. It's the holiday season. Uh, therapy is a gift you give to yourself. So thank you so yes. much for joining me this evening. I'll, I'll mention Mark. my
2: book, my Facebook page, com yes? slash Mark uh, Smith counseling. And there are lots of good articles that I post
0: there about family and relationships. So uh Suggest people take a look. Wonderful. Thank you. And a wonderful holiday season to you. You too. This is the Sunday Night Health Show. I am Maureen McGrath. I'm so excited to have my next guest in the studio. Nancy Ruth Dean is a breakup coach of HelloBreakup.com. Who can't relate to this? Everybody's had a broken heart. Everybody has been in a relationship where somebody surprisingly said, uh, you know more. Well, what about timing on that relationship breakup? Is there an appropriate time to do that? I remember one time I was going out with a guy and I'd had a, uh, my hair done. And they said to me, do not uh, wash it for three days. Well, I was a teenager. You know, who could not wash their hair for three days? And so I washed it, of course, on day one. And, and the guy and I went out for lunch and he broke up with me. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) And then I went into the bathroom and I saw that my hair, it was a rainy day, and I saw that my hair had grown exponentially. It was about 10 times the size of what it normally looked like. And I looked in the mirror, I was crying, and then I started laughing. No wonder he broke up with me. And, of course, gales of laughter in the bathroom with all the women who could relate to my broken heart. Because we've all had that broken heart, whether they break up with you at Christmas time or just before Valentine's Day. And you think, why now? Why did they do that? now. Well, here to answer all those questions is Nancy Ruth Dean. Good evening, Nancy. Thanks so much for joining me in the studio. It's so great to be back here. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to have you. So timing and breakup. I mean, so many people have had a broken heart and experienced this, but, and you you think, why didn't they just wait until after all the Christmas parties were over? Or why didn't they just wait until Valentine's Day? Or did they have to break up with me on February 13th? What is this whole thing about timing and breaking up? And why is it important? I love the conversation
3: around timing because, you know, talking to clients, several of them are approaching me asking, I've thought about this a lot. I've thought about when the right timing would be. And some of these answers are exactly what you said. You know, can, should I do it after, before Valentine's Day, before Christmas, the American Thanksgiving is coming up? You know, when's the right time? And so when we take a look at that, we're really putting this timing, this the matters of the heart, into something that is completely out of our control, some sort of
0: external factor. We're scheduling it, much like we're scheduling sex as well. We're like, put that on the calendar. Wednesday at noon, I'm going to break up with him. <laughs> right,
3: exactly. And I think also people are, I mean, a lot of us who are really afraid of making that Decision, right? Because the person who wants to break up with the other person is thinking about doing it, wants to figure out the best way to do it so that the other person hurts less, as if being able to break up before Christmas will make your pain a little less, but I don't think that's exactly how it works.
0: No, but people often will say, you know, did he have to break up with me just before Christmas dinner? Just before he was coming over to meet the family? Um, And so sometimes people will say they gave no consideration, and, and I understand nobody wants to hurt anybody else, but oftentimes people will say they gave no consideration to when they broke up with me, for example. So Is that a conscious effort that we should be thinking about? I
3: think there are two ways to look at this. Number one, I think... That if you can, let's say, get away with good timing because there's still a month until Christmas or there's still a month until Valentine's Day and you feel that it's the right time for you to end the relationship, that will be great. But if you're waking up every day in a panic attack thinking, oh, my gosh, like I've invited her or I've invited him to meet my family and I don't want to go through with this. I don't think you need to go through with it if it's creating a physical, mental, emotional response
0: to you. Exactly. I was thinking about this, too. I mean, I'm sure everybody has a million stories, but another boyfriend of mine <laughs> who broke up with me. They all seemed to break up with me. They didn't know my future uh, <laughs> that I'd be a sex expert. But anyway, um, they uh, I needed some training, I guess. Um, you know, he came to my parents' house at Christmas time and he brought his sister. And in retrospect, I mean, I, on some level, I knew, Uh, there's just something not quite right about this. Whereas the Christmas before, you know, he was at my house and I was at his house and it was all very different. And this time he was, I could tell, but I didn't want to accept it. And sometimes we don't want to accept that somebody no longer wants to be with us. And Why do we want somebody to be with us when they don't want to be with us?
3: Oh, such a good question. And I think we've all been there i think what's really important to notice here is whenever one person is thinking of ending it there's also the other person who's playing into that dynamic because they're still kind of holding on for dear life because of fear mostly being lonely um being afraid that the holidays are coming and they really want to do the fun, festive holiday markets and enjoy all the great things that come with winter festivities and, you know, share experiences together. So sometimes it's just better to hold on to a mediocre relationship, so some of us think, than it is to cut the cord and start fresh at this time.
0: And start that grieving process because that's really what it's about. When somebody breaks up with you, um, you, you begin to grieve. It's a loss. And is it normal to go through all of those emotions, the anger, the denial, um, the bargaining and the acceptance?
3: Yeah. I've, I think what, one of the things that has been really interesting to observe in my work is is the way that people are approaching the the stages of grieving a breakup. And So it's not always going to look like what you see in Hollywood movies. For many of us who are conscious minded, we can say, hey, I'm you know, I'm I want to heal through this breakup. So what does healing look like as I watch myself experience these emotions
0: as opposed to the one that got away? Interesting. um, Just another heartbreak story of mine. I've got millions of them. (laughs) A high school boyfriend, um, I think my first, actually, um, returned many years later through Facebook, of course. Right. And so, you know, there, y- you have to wonder, and, and I think because of social media today and ghosting, so people can just disappear. And that's another way to break up, not the healthiest yeah. way, not the kindest way, but Perhaps you don't want to um, hurt somebody, but, you know, there is some level of satisfaction when you're like, aha, you broke up with me, and now you are back. <laughs> um, not that I want him back. You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're listening, by the way, because you told me. <laughs> he said my laugh was exactly the same as it was in high school. Anyway, that seems to be when a lot of breakups occur in high school.
3: Oh, Definitely. <laughs> definitely.
0: When we remember those, I don't remember any of the other ones, you know, <laughs> after high school, but whatever, one after another.
3: Yeah, they definitely make a mark on you and set the tone for the rest of your relationships.
0: They do. And it's really about choosing that right person even to be in the relationship with. And sometimes we have to question, you know, why am I with that person? What's that about? Is that more about me? Is that do people do that as well?
3: I think when people well, when people come to me,
0: One of the big questions they have is,
3: you know, who was right and who was wrong? Like, do I have my story right? I've had clients who literally say to me, Nancy, I just wish my ex-girlfriend was here in the room because I'm not sure I'm telling the story right. And so I always let them know, like, this is kind of a conversation about perception here. And so if you want to work on yourself instead of just trying to get your ducks in a row, we Can do a lot of work there, so it's really not about dissecting the story so much and getting it straight. Thank you
0: so much, Nancy Ruth Dean. How can people get in touch with you?
3: You can visit my website www.hellobreakup.com, okay, or, or reach out to me via email nancy at com.
0: Okay, we're going to edit that. Um, so instead of www, just hellobreakup.com, okay. All right, so. Nancy, it's amazing work that you do, and I really appreciate you coming into the studio this evening to talk about it and help people with their broken hearts. So how can people get in touch with you? You can visit me at hellobreakup.com. Thank you so much. I am Maureen McGrath, and this is the Sunday Night Health Show. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. Email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app,